Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Happy Halloween, everyone. We have a lot planned for you today. We are going to tell you a little bit about Halloween Got Started and its origins of a bunch of different Halloween characteristics like pumpkins and costumes and all of that fun stuff. Interestingly, the origins of Halloween are a little bit debated. Some folks think that they are from Christian traditions, while others think that they're from the pagan Samhain. So Samhain is a Celtic holiday. And it dates back to 1200 BCE. It's not necessarily known all of the details about Samhain categorically because they didn't write down their history. They had an oral tradition, which means that they passed it down through generations. So a lot of what folks think about Samhain or or think they know in terms of scholars, it's not concrete proof. And as we talk about Samhain and some of the customs or traditions of it, there's debate over whether that's actually what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Celts practice paganism. There's different strands of paganism, but they all have common characteristics. One being the importance of ritual. And the other is that there's a belief that because everything that is alive is divine, it's worthy of honor. And I truly love that. And I think that that's just a great way to spread kindness in the world. It really is. Yeah. So within the Celt culture, there were Druids, and Druids were a highly regarded priestly caste. And it's a little bit unclear what roles they exactly had in the society, because some say they just had civic duties, while others say that they had these civic duties and a supernatural role. In terms of civic duties, they would do things like they would be the judge in public and private issues. They acted as scientists, historians, physicians, and moral philosophers. But additionally, they oversaw religious ceremonies and rituals. I love that they were judges and physicians. Yeah. I mean, they're everything. Okay. What's a little odd to me is that you generally think that someone who is this highly regarded in a culture is built from that culture, but it's actually unclear what relationship the Druids have to the rest of the Celts. Hmm. Because some folks think that they were the indigenous people who lived on the British Isles before the Celts came. And then the Celts came and conquered, but they adopted their religion. But how often do you hear of that? Right. (laughs) Where an invading culture would adopt the marginalized community's religion, right? It's pretty rare. So others say that that's not what happened, but that for whatever reason, wherever Celts were, there were Druids. All right. Yeah. A little little interesting. A little bit of a mystery. Samhain is the Celtic New Year. It's also a time to celebrate and worship ancestors as well as to celebrate the end of harvest season. And so one of the kind of spooky parts of it that kind of infuses it could be that a bad harvest could have meant death. Yeah. Well, they said if it was a really bad harvest, unfortunately, that meant not everyone was going to survive. So you could think of it as like the first instance where if this is where Halloween technically came from. That's also where the first part of death and Halloween holding hands came from as well. Samhain was also the first day of winter, which was November 1st for them, which sounds strange because you're thinking, what do you mean Halloween is October 31st? For Celts, nightfall was the beginning of the next day. So nighttime on Halloween 
is the beginning of November 1st for them. One of the commonly held beliefs of Celts was that, quote, darkness precedes light, illumination flowing from the initial obscurity, which is an interesting kind of perspective to take because when we think of like the darkness, you think of like the unknown, the scary, what could be in there. But it seems like their perspective was that to illuminate a space, it needs to be dark first. And for there to like be illumination, it has to have been dark. So I was like, hmm. I mean, that, that's kind of a cool way to look at it, right? And so for Samhain, there was a lot of social pressure to participate. Basically, if you weren't dying, you were expected to be present. And oddly, there's a lot of activities that I wouldn't usually equate with a celebration or a holiday. Like, for example, there would be like town discussions of religion, politics, economic matters. There were business transactions. And then this would be a time when the Druids would help settle disputes between folks in the community. Additionally, tithes were played as a part of every third Samhain. Scholars would meet and then they would discuss and renew the laws and regulations in the area. Another thought about around Samhain was that kings were weaker and that their power needed to be replenished through death, then rebirth. Uh-oh. So they would sacrifice bulls as a proxy for the king. I hate that. Never mind. Yeah, I don't. I don't love this part. But the idea was that after this happened, the king was thought to have an inner vision of the next life. And this would lead to his strength and him being able to face the new year. Couldn't he just like plant something? Well, no, because it was the end of the harvest season. Oh, you had to kill something. Well, they're they're killing their plants when they're harvesting them. You're not wrong. So additionally in Samhain, there would be feasts for the ruling class and druids consisting of wine and pork. The pork was thought to give them immortality. Love it. And then the wine, because they would get a little tipsy, they would think that they were kind of like transcending, right? Like that they could like see more and understand more and would be able to grasp the supernatural realm better. And fantastic. 10 out of 10. Additionally, banquet tables are prepared for ghosts. Then villagers who were costumed in the skins of slaughtered animals would lead the ghosts out of town. Oh, don't like that either. I was all with them for a while, and then they slowly started to lose me as we researched. (laughs) They were probably using the whole animal, so probably wasn't slaughtered just for that. They were probably consuming its meat and stuff like that. It, It was another use for the skin. And this is where there's a little bit of debate. Some folks say that Druid priests never did things like human sacrifices. Others say that they did. But if they did, this was the time of year that they did it. Typically, sacrifices were criminals or captives. In 61 AD, Romans banned human sacrifices. So then they burned black cats in wicker cages. Don't like that. And I like that. Three full void babies that are all black. And it hurts my heart to think of anyone hurting them because I have such sweet kittens. A lot of rescues and things will stop the adoption of black cats for the month of October because people still like to harm black cats because they are tied to witches and different scary things, which aren't really that scary. So that's actually a problem still. People are the worst when it comes to that kind they of thing. are. They are. No need to hurt animals. So it was generally believed that Samhain was a time where the ghosts would visit their old homes. And also, witches with mischievous or malevolent intent would roam the earth. So they would have bonfires. And that was thought to purify, but also scare the ghosts and witches away. Yeah. Something that I thought that was very interesting about their bonfires is that's the only time that they ever saw bats. Because if you think about it, this was a time, obviously, before electricity. 
And so the only time that you'd be able to see a bat, which would come out at night, would be if there's some type of light, fire. Well, when they'd have these bonfires, it would draw bugs in, and then the bats would feed on the bugs. And so this could be the first instance where bats were part of what we think of as Halloween now, if this technically counts as Halloween, you know, because there's debate. I also truly and 100% love bat decorations for Halloween. They're my favorite. I don't know why. Yeah. Mine too. Just love them. Love a good bat. So far, everything that we've talked about, with the exception of some ghosts and witches, has been relatively like, this is how they celebrated. But the supernatural types of beliefs and practices that happened were, there was a thought that the gate between the worlds was open. This has also been phrased as the veil between the living and the dead being the thinnest. And because the veil was so thin, there were also some some stories of people getting caught on the other side or vice versa, like the the ghosts coming here and getting caught in our realm. And then also them exploring the ghost realm and being caught in that realm. Hmm. So also the kings would ask druids to foresee the events for the year to come, especially relating to hunting, farming, politics of neighboring kingdoms and weather. Perhaps one of the most mysterious things that I read about Samhain was that it was really believed that after nightfall on October 31st, time as we know it was suspended. And all the places that I read, I couldn't find a good explanation for what that meant. But it was just that like time was construed differently. Hmm, That's weird. Just as a disclaimer, we've tried to compile as much research to kind of describe the patterns and the different things that may or may not have happened for Samhain, but definitely an interesting practice. And also because they're still pagan people, Samhain is still celebrated. So Samhain and Halloween are happening concurrently. Right, right. It's not just that one came from the other. When we chat about this, we're doing our best to be respectful of a time that we didn't live through and for practices that we don't know a lot about, but we're interested in and we wanted to learn more about them. So as we talk about beliefs from paganism, but also in our next section about Christianity, we've done our best to remain respectful while still getting as much research as we could to have a clear picture. To leave off from there, there was a festival called Lemuria. And it was a pagan festival where celebrants placated the dead. And that was on May 13th. So the ghosts of the departed would basically come up and haunt, right? And they would leave for for the dead. They would pour milk on the graves and they'd offer them cakes. So it was like, hmm. I think of it as almost like Day of the Dead now. That's what I picture in my head is what it was. Yeah, I would also imagine that at that time period, the idea of giving milk is a big deal because that would be something that, you know, they weren't going to the store and grabbing a gallon. Yeah, it took work. So it's been discussed in 609 AD that Christians co-opted Lemuria and they turned May 13th into All Saints Day. For All Saints Day, folks would wear costumes of their favorite saint. And then from there, church leaders moved All Saints Day or All Hallows Day to November 1st. Some believe that they did this to basically take away from Samhain. Who knows if that's true, but it was very, very close. I don't know if that was a coincidence. Samhain fell on October 31st in the evening before All Hallows Day. And then basically how it got to Halloween, I thought was really interesting because they started calling it All Hallows Evening. Then they shortened it to All Hallows Even, and then it finally became Halloween. That's a fascinating progression of how we got to Halloween because it's a specific word. Yeah, I actually didn't know that part before our 
this research. I knew that it, you know, it was kind of hand in hand, but I didn't know that it was just shortened little by little. Yeah. So then on top of that, the church had added another holiday to honor not just saints, but all Christians, I believe. And that was November 2nd, and that became All Souls Day. So I found All Souls Day very interesting, too, because a lot of people say this might be the first instance of trick-or-treating. So on All Souls Day, priests would tell Christians to pray for souls that were trapped between heaven and hell, which would be considered purgatory. They would offer up prayers, and then if enough prayers were offered up, sometimes the soul would be able to leave purgatory and fly up into heaven. So what children would do is they would go souling, is what it was called. And they would be begging for soul cakes, which were like spiced cakes with raisins. It sounds absolutely awful. Delicious. You like how I said delicious and you went absolutely awful? Uh, Part of one of the things that I wanted to do from this episode, because I saw so many delicious foods that looked like they were from Samhain, is that I wanted to like try to like make some of the cultural foods. Then I was like, well, let's look up the Christian foods too. So I saw soul cakes and I was like, well, I might as well add these to the list of what I'll make. I just don't like raisins in anything. Like if it has raisins in it, like you ruin the cookie. I mean, that's fair. No, I was going to say I don't like raisins in cookies, but that's a lie because I love an oatmeal raisin. Mm-mm. But I just need to know that's what it is going in. Like, don't tell me it's an oatmeal chocolate chip and then fool me. But I need you to know that as you were saying that if the person got enough prayers to leave purgatory, I was imagining, you know, one of those paper thermometers that like teachers would have in the classroom and they would like when the kids were doing the fundraising, they would like color it in as they go. I imagine there's like a priest and he's like, whoop, let's see if mittens can get to heaven. For what I understand, it would be like, pray for this particular soul. Yeah. And yeah, so they were like paying off these kids with cakes. And then these kids would offer up the prayers for those souls. And then hopefully like their loved one that they believed was in purgatory would be able to make it to heaven. I admittedly don't know a ton about Christianity. I went to a Catholic high school, but I didn't really soak any of it in. (laughs) But I think Like, how do you know who was in purgatory? Like, were you just like, "Mm, my uncle was okay, so he's probably... I'm not sure. I don't know if maybe it's because they thought that they saw them as a ghost, maybe? I'm not sure. what. It it didn't really explore why they thought their loved ones were there. Hmm. But there are some, some things that I read where they, not necessarily this time, but just in general, that people thought that ghosts that we see are trapped in purgatory because they didn't actually get to leave our realm. There's also the belief that when someone died, they would wander the earth until All Saints Day, which I thought was particularly interesting. Like you had like a day where you went to heaven, hell or purgatory. But until then, you were stuck on earth, kind of like you're waiting for your flight to arrive. And if you visited enough people and then they needed to color the thing if you got enough. But like, I guess like they could you could get like go straight to heaven or I guess if you didn't right on down. But as part of this, Halloween was the last day that folks were wandering around the earth before they went wherever they went. And that was the last day where they would like wreak havoc and they would have vengeance against people who wronged them. So people would wear masks on Halloween to hide from the people they'd wronged. (laughs) Which I'm like, you have to have like done someone dirty for you to be like, nah, they're definitely going to haunt me. Like, for sure, they're going to come haunt me. So that's like another example where some say, oh, Samhain is where costumes come from, right? Because they wear the skins of slaughtered animals, mm-hmm. right? And then so others yeah. say that it was a holdout from 
Christianity and that because people would wear masks to hide from those they had wronged, masks came from there. Yeah. In Protestantism, the idea of purgatory wasn't present, but Catholics really held on to that belief and especially Scottish and Irish Catholics. And so when there was an influx of Irish to America, Mm -hmm. it's not surprising that they would bring their Catholic traditions and that those would kind of disperse throughout the country as well. So it's another reason why folks really think that right. it was perhaps Christianity as a root rather than, but maybe also, maybe it was both. Yeah, I feel like just bits and pieces of kind of each one so far yeah. developed all of it. So I can't say for sure, like, nope, this is exactly where it was, because there are stories and different things from both different traditions that included a lot of things that we see in Halloween still. Not necessarily dressing up in dead animals and not necessarily That's not what you do. For weird raisin cakes, but <laughs> no, I would I would definitely not beg for a raisin cake. That is like the most disappointing thing in the world when you bite into a cookie thinking it's a chocolate chip and there's a freaking raisin. Yeah, but don't you notice that it's all bumpy? I know, but sometimes it's like hidden and they're like, oh, it's chocolate chip. And then you're like, no, no, I mean like the oats. So the oats are all bumpy. Oh, I mean, but it could be like oatmeal chocolate chip and that sounds great can i just tell you just this is nothing related to this the best cookie i've ever had it was an oatmeal cookie just follow me though with dried cherries okay coconut and dark chocolate chunks Ah, delicious 10 out of 10 would recommend that saved it that saved it i really like pudding cookies what's a pudding cookie so when you're making the batter like or the cookie dough you put a box of instant pudding in it and then they can't get oh. crunchy. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued enough to try it. I'll send you a recipe. Thank you. Because that's fantastic. And that's the way I make cookies. Because I don't like crunchy cookies. If it's going to be crunchy, it must also be intensely buttery. Like I really need like an intense butter flavor. I feel like the only crunchy cookie I like is an Oreo. And even then, it has to be dunked. But a soft Oreo is a whoopie pie. Yeah. Which are kind of weird to me. You're absolutely right. Yeah, that's weird. Like, it's just too much because I want it to be an Oreo proportion, but soft. Mm-hmm. I love that our Christianity talk turned into talk about different types of cookies. It's because we're uncomfortable to talk about religion. So we're just taking a break, guys. <laughs> I feel really confident in my ability to talk about cookies and not offend too many people. Oh, hell yeah. But I certainly don't feel the same way in talking about religion. And I'm okay offending I'm okay offending oatmeal raisin people. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'll own it. I'll own it. Offensive. <laughs> Offensive. So let's move on, shall we? <laughs> Talking about things that no one wanted, the start of America. So. <laughs> <laughs> America started mm-hmm. not so much with people who were down for Halloween, but a lot with Puritans. So Puritans, we don't even need to go into a full description of them, but most folks know Puritans were not down for Halloween. But there were Halloween-esque celebrations that were more kind of just seasonal celebrations. So think of like an autumn festival. And so <laughs> those were really popular in the South, but also in Maryland, which is where they I sound am. a little weird. And the first celebrations were called play parties which sound kind of interesting now. So they were public events and kind of like a harvest 
type of activity. So they were celebrating the harvest. They would dance. They would sing. They would share stories mm-hmm. of the dead. But it didn't seem that they were spooky stories of the dead. They were just kind of honoring the people who they missed. And they'd also do some fortune telling. And just in case you were wondering, what fortune telling? It's really, will you find a husband? What will their name be? When will you find a husband? Will you love them? Will they love you? It was like very like kitty fortune telling i feel like like one of those silly games that you play in like elementary school is what i i picture with the little like paper things do you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah so by the mid 19th century autumn festivals and stuff like that they were typical all over but there wasn't like a centralized halloween where everybody was doing the same thing right one thing to note too in 1833 there actually was a description of a halloween gathering where ghost stories were told around a fire they knew it was up they did and i want to go back to that i want that halloween again yeah i want to know what ghost stories they were telling also i just love a bonfire who doesn't love a bonfire right any of So we talked about the Civil War in our episode on ghosts, right? But so the Civil War ended and with that came half of a million deaths. And so many people were hoping that their people would come back. Right. And so many were also unclaimed and unknown that the country really became obsessed with the idea of death, which I think is really interesting to have a cultural shift that much. Yeah. But also understandable. Yeah. A lot of families had so many people missing from it. And understandably, they didn't know what happened to their loved one. And so that was kind of like the talk of the town. And people would, a lot of the ghost stories revolved around a loved one finally coming home, which is really sad and horrible. Yeah. When we talk about ghosts, it's kind of a dichotomy between loving someone and missing them and a poltergeist who's terrorizing your family. And I feel like most ghost stories fall someplace in the middle. This feels a lot more closer to the Mm -hmm. I miss my person kind of situation. Yeah. So after the Civil War, that's when Scots and Irish immigrants brought their rural old world Halloween customs with them. So they helped establish even more of the American Halloween traditions. Also, this was really interesting, too. This is where the first appearance of bogeys could be seen, at least in America. And we call them boogeymen, right? The boogeyman's coming. And basically what it was was pestering ghosts that would torment children. A completely wholesome thing to tell children, right? Wholesome. Absolutely. And (laughs) what the children feared is that they'd be under the bed or they'd be like hiding around the corner or hiding behind a fence. So like when they'd walk, the boogeyman would come out. But it was, yeah, they called them bogeys. And so that's kind of an interesting thing that the lovely uh, stories that were brought along with them here (laughs) to scare children. And I love it. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into it in a little bit, but children will do their fair share of terrorizing soon. So there were some also lesser known rituals surrounding matchmaking. And the idea was basically like who would be married by next Halloween and who would they be married to? So in in 18th century Ireland, a cook would put a ring in potatoes so that the person who found the ring would find their true love. That's cute. Yeah. In Scotland, women would have hazelnuts for each of their suitors. Have you ever seen... um brother where art thou yes okay if i read the word suitor i automatically think he's a suitor he's bona fide every time every single time sorry that's not relevant 
She would throw the hazelnuts in the fire one by one. The first nut that burned to ash was the name of the person who would be her future husband. Cool. (laughs) That's so weird. Okay. But sometimes the opposite was true. A burned nut was not an everlasting love. So it's like, I guess, the interpretation. And again, back to those silly childhood games that we were just like mimicking at each other because sometimes it was like, oh, if it landed on this, you cross it out. But then other times it was, if it lands on this, you're going to live in a house. Yeah, yeah. That, that's how I see it, right? Also, another one was eating a mixture of walnuts, hazelnuts, nutmeg, and sugar before bed on Halloween night would make a woman dream about her future husband. Would they even fall asleep? <laughs> Maybe they drank heavily as well. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yes. Tossing apple peels over her shoulder, the peels would spell out the name of their future husband's initials. I don't understand that one as much either. Like when they're looking at the peel, does it like resemble a letter? Yeah, I think that's the point. So I feel like if that was the case, there were no predictions of men with like T names or like an N, right? Because these are hard apple peel. They all were named Charles. Yeah, it would have to be like Charles or like Otis. I don't know if that's an old-timey name. Otis? I don't know. It was the first O name I could think of. You're lucky I didn't say mittens. <laughs> I was just going to say, at least it's not mittens. <laughs> a mitten for every episode. So <laughs> another little tradition was the first person to bob an apple would be the first to marry. And all of these, like, I know these are, like, hand-in-hand with old Halloween customs. But when you think about it, we still do some of these weird things. You know, like at weddings, throwing the bouquet is still a weird custom that makes no sense. Yeah. But the person to catch it's the one that's going to get married next. So we still do silly things like this all the time. Do you think bobbing for apples is the most disgusting tradition? Because as a child of the 90s, born in the 80s, grew up in the 90s, my parents were like, yeah, go bobbing for apples. That's disgusting. I have never once done that. Oh, well, you're lucky. Yeah. Maybe on the East Coast, the parents were like, who cares about germs? The West Coast is like, ew. (laughs) I mean, fair. That's because it's disgusting. It just seems weird. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Yeah, well, and also people, some people's Halloween costume involves face makeup. Then they're dipping their face makeup in water and then they're missing half of their makeup, but it's in the water for the next person to try to bite an apple out of their spit water. I've got really strong feelings about this. Pretty sure it's illegal this year anyways, so don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely is illegal. I was talking to my sister-in-law about like maybe a coronavirus-friendly way to bob an apple, which sounds like an oxymoron, Mm -hmm. would be that each person has their own bowl and their own apple, and the first person who like successfully takes a bite and can lift their head wins a prize. And then scream at the people six feet away that they were able to do it. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, scream obscenities or insults. It's up to you. You're the winner. You get, That's what you get to do. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I expect video. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Th- this was the, the fun, happy, silly side of it. But the other side of, of this Halloween back then was pranks and just all around kids being terrible. Yeah. So as we said before, Halloween traditions weren't really centralized or common until the Irish immigrated over and the Scottish. And one of the Irish traditions with Halloween specifically was pulling pranks. And so we're going to go through some of the pranks. Bear with us because we're fascinated by these. We think you will be too. But so in the 1800s, some of the pranks that the kids would do 
would be they would put a farmer's wagon and their livestock on barn roofs. Yeah. Which and on haystacks. Fascinating. And on yeah, like, that's a lot of work. That's hard. And it seems just so useless. Right. Like that poor cow is just like, I'm living my life. I'm living my life. And then they're on top of a barn. I don't know how they did that. I don't know. I'm assuming it probably wasn't a cow. It's probably things like chickens. That's lighter. A child could heft that up. Well, still taking apart a wagon and then reconstructing it on a roof. I don't know any kids that could do that today. Well, but yeah, but think about what wagons probably were then. They were probably four wheels, two axles, and like a cart. I don't even think kids today could do like a child's wagon, take it apart and put it back together on a roof, let alone. I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Maybe it was older teens. Who could say? (laughs) They would also tip outhouses. Gross. Sometimes they were occupied. (laughs) Disrespectful. Uh, So... (laughs) In 1879, there was a train conductor who had to abruptly stop the train because when he looked out in front of him, he saw like a figure on the train tracks. And when he got out to look at it, it was very clear that it was like like a fake person. However, that would be done in 1879. And the account that I read was that there were 200 boys hiding in the woods along the tracks, just like snickering. That's a lot. That's a lot of boys. That's a lot of boys. And like, did he count? Was he like one, two, three, four, five, six? <laughs> you 200 are in so much trouble. Yeah, like I am going to write a strongly worded letter to your parents. So also some specifically Scottish pranks that I saw. Both of them had to do with cabbages, which I love. Of course. I love it. And so they would tie strings around cabbages and then they would drag them through the fields. I don't know why. I don't know. Maybe they were making crop circles. That's what cabbages should be used for because... Cabbages are delicious. I'll give you some cabbage recipes because I feel like if you're eating plain old boiled cabbage, perhaps no. But if you're taking some cabbage with a little bit of curry and a little bit of garlic powder and you're sauteing it for a while, she's making a face. She said, no. Okay, what if you cover it with cheese and put marinara sauce on it? I'd rather have garlic bread. I mean, you could have both. Anyway, so they would also do this very disrespectful thing. So they would take a cabbage stalk. And they would like light it on fire, but then blow it out so it was smoking. And they'd shove it through the keyhole of a door so that when the person got home, their whole house would stink like a cabbage. So they would come in and it would just be like this ever-present fart. And I love it. Like I like that's the kind of prank that I can get behind because no one's hurt and it's just stinky. Right. Yeah. I say this as a person who like lives in a world where like there's Febreze and candles and all of those things and the scent could go away. So right. But It got worse in other places. These pranks were seemingly harmless for the most part, but then it got real bad. Yes. So as cities got bigger, so did the pranks because people were more concentrated, right? So I'm assuming a group of 2,000 boys or 2,000. Wow, that's a lot more. We jumped. They're getting a lot. (laughs) Aggressive. A group of 2,000. I almost did it again. A group of 200 boys was much easier to assemble once people live closer. But so in Kansas City, there there were streetcar tracks. And if you don't know how that works, a streetcar is on tracks, right? And it continues on that. Yeah. It can't. It's not like a bus. But so they were waxed on a steep, deep hill. So they couldn't stop. And they crashed into another streetcar. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw, too, that sometimes they take bars of soap and put them in the rails. And then it would cause streetcars to derail. (laughs) That is aggressive. It is. It's not. We laugh now, but that's horrible. Well, and the train conductor that we talked about, right, when he stopped the train abruptly, 
They could have caused an accident. Like that train could have derailed. There's also instances where some kids would move the house steps like leading up to the house so that when the person like would come out the next morning, they would just fall. (laughs) (laughs) I find this hilarious as a person who it's not happening to. Right. Imagine like just someone going to work or like going to milk the cow and then they just fall face first. So there was probably like all manners of broken limbs caused by these unwieldy children. Absolutely. Honestly, like back then too, trying to fix a broken limb, they probably like <laughs> they probably didn't have happy lives. We know that like medicine in 1912, when we talked about a Verliska episode, that medicine is nowhere near it is. Yeah. Where it was today. So like, yeah. if they were doing surgeries at home, mm-hmm. I don't even want to think about how a broken bone was set. <laughs> And I'm thinking a lot of this was around the 20s, just to put a picture in your head for the American tricks, because in some papers, they were calling Halloween a crisis. Yeah. Because of all of these pranks and tricks. They would throw stones um, in 19... Oh, we're going back a little ways, but 1907 in Tucson, Arizona, a prankster stretched wire across the sidewalk. And when one person fell, they shot the prankster with a revolver. So that's Perhaps they'd had a many little... pranks pranked upon them. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Just these kids were nuts. They mowed down shrubs, soaped windows, <laughs> filled streets with boats. How did I even say that? How, how I don't know. How did they fill streets with boats? Well, they'd, they'd also take wagons apart, still, same thing, and like reassemble them on roofs. And then they'd also sometimes remove gates from farmers so yeah. their animals would escape, which is mean. Some of them got a little like worse, though. They'd like set fires and there were like pipe bombs. There was also uh, church pews that were covered in molasses. So when people sat down, it was a real sticky situation. You were just waiting to say that. I would have been, I've been waiting to say it, just holding it in. And they'd also smear walls of new houses with black paint. I mean, they could do that. That's fine. Yeah, but like not that. if you didn't paint the house black. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want their I mean, house to be black? Fair. I have some light colors in my home just so that things are able to match it a lot easier. Because I'm like, we should get gray. Yeah, that's no, that's in your home. Either home too. I thought. Oh well, but all I think of is Pam from the office where she's like, "Well, I didn't want the paint there <laughs> when they mess up her painting." <laughs> but anyways, so I mean, that's fine. I like that prank. That one's okay. But like freeing the the livestock and stuff is real rude. What I thought was a little surprising was that. It seemed when there were economic difficulties in the country that the maliciousness of Halloween would grow. So especially during the Great Depression. And since we're in a recession now, that makes me concerned about perhaps pranks this year. People taking out some coronavirus frustration. Oh, maybe. I mean, yeah, everyone's been a little, I mean, especially the children have had it real rough this year. So they're going to revolt just like because of the bogeys. They're going to revolt. Your son's going to cover your couch in molasses. I mean, that was probably going to happen. Do you have molasses in your house? (laughs) I do not. I do not. No. Well, don't send me any. Because anything (laughs) weird that enters this house is most likely sent from you now. When you're right, you're right. (laughs) So another big thing about Halloween is trick-or-treating. And during the 1930s, religious and community organizers were trying to make the holiday a little more wholesome. So to get rid of these pranks and terrible things and to make it more of like a fun, happy family holiday, 
And some even say like a party night. So instead of pranking, let's all hang out and have a party instead. So there was this magazine that published an article in 1939, and it was by Doris Hudson Moss, and it was in American Home Magazine. And she talked about the success she had on Halloween because she had an open house for the kids in the neighborhood and that she didn't get tricked. She gave them sweets. So this is like the first instance where people are talking about, well, if you bribe the kids, they'll stop harming your house and your animals. I love the idea of bribing them to not be jerks. Well, and it's funny because a lot of people, like when you look at, I don't know, like parenting sites and things like that, they're always like, don't bribe your children to be good. You have to have them want to be good. And I'm like, well, you guys are going trick-or-treating. That's to make sure that your kid doesn't ruin their home. That's (laughs) why they're giving them candy. So kids then, it it kind of evolved. So at first, people were giving them like popcorn balls and like homemade sweets. And then like the candy companies are like, hold on. Fun-sized. Yes. Yeah. So then they started getting things like Mars bars and Reese's and Hershey's. So in the 1950s, the pranks and mischief moved to the night before Halloween. So so the kids still could participate in the pranking and the mischief. But then also yeah. still get their bribed candy. Yeah. So depending on where you're located, there's a different night for the night before Halloween. In the Northeast, it's thought to be a mischief night. In New Jersey, in some places, it's called Goosey Night. In some places, I think it also might be in the Northeast, it's called Cabbage Night because the cabbage stalks that people would put in the keyholes. <laughs> you get so excited to talk about that. I really do. My face lights up. In Michigan, it's Devil's Night, which is also what I've always called it. And then in the Midwest, it's Gate Night, because as Amanda had mentioned, they would take the gates and off so that the livestock could just keep on keeping on. I'd be so mad. So around this time, too, as like Halloween was evolving a bit, this is where novelty companies started posting some Halloween guides, and they called them bogey books. And it suggested that Halloween become the party night rather than the prank night. And this is where companies started realizing, too, that money could be made from Halloween. And then also around this time is when Halloween items started making it to retail stores. So little masks and paper costumes, which I had never even thought of, you know, like what other costumes? I always thought of it just they'd sew them, right? But they'd make these like little paper costumes. And it was the first time that costumes would be marketed for a Halloween, like for an actual holiday. Oh, cool. But unfortunately, these costumes were flammable. And there was some articles (laughs) about the costumes catching fire, (laughs) which is, it's awful. (laughs) So speaking of fire, in the 1970s and 80s, arson became a popular prank for Devil's Night. And people would set fire to abandoned buildings, dumpsters, and trash cans. And in 1984 in Detroit, this spiked the most. There were 800 fires started. Yeah. And so. Oh, my gosh. After that, the city set curfews for folks who were under 18 and weren't with a parent. And then a night like a city, a night watch, a city's watch was instituted. And now they call it Angel's Night, which I'm like, oh, stupid. But I understand why they're trying to rebrand it. But so some like different kind of modern pranks that people do are pulling fire alarms, throwing bricks through shop windows. I never knew anybody who did pranks really at all. I didn't even know people who TP'd windows or TP'd trees, not windows. <laughs> we had better things to do. We had better places to be than throwing toilet paper around. The one thing just talking about this like history part of Halloween, 
I didn't realize how new the term trick or treat was. Because we're talking about, you know, around the 30s and 40s and that sort of thing. I thought the term trick or treat was a lot older. But knowing now that it's like, yeah, not even 100 years old yet. So another big Halloween icon is the jack-o'-lantern, right? The carved pumpkin. Now, where that came from is there was a folktale about basically like a drunk Irishman named Jack. And there's a couple different stories about him. Some say that he tricked the devil. Some say he was just a, a big troublemaker and that he was so bad that he got himself thrown out of hell. But either way, he he was pretty much destined to go to hell. And instead of going to hell, the devil basically did make him stay or kicked him out, one of the two, and gave him an ember from hell. And what Jack did is he put it inside a turnip and walked around with it. And that became the first jack-o'-lantern. So in Ireland, kids hollowed out root vegetables like potatoes, turnips, rutabagas, and they'd carve faces in them and put a candle inside. It seems like a hard thing to carve. It sounds awful. Yeah, No, it absolutely sounds awful. I will also be doing it this year. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try this out and hope I don't hurt myself. Yeah. I mean, you don't need all of your fingers. So turnips that have been carved are horrifying. We'll post some pictures of them. But I want to get back to that Halloween. Like that is absolutely terrifying. And it's just amazing. So yeah, we'll post some pictures of them. So the first reference that we have in the U.S. to a jack-o'-lantern, which, you know, the, the folktale I just said, was from Nathaniel Hawthorne. So when he was writing about someone's tattered coat that had holes in it, I guess it was being held up to light. And he said it shines like a jack-o'-lantern would. So I guess that's like the first time in print that it was here from what I can find. So Americans started substituting pumpkins instead of the turnips because pumpkins are harvested around Halloween. And again, they'd go back to their tricks and they'd put the pumpkins up like on a, a broom handle and still light them with the, the candle. And they'd like they prop them up against people's windows. So when they'd look out the window, there'd be like this creepy pumpkin staring back at them. I also saw one account in Indiana where a girl opened her front door and somebody shoved a jack-o'-lantern in her face and she screamed. And when she did, she scared her mother so badly that her heart stopped and she died. That's horrible. Isn't that That's horrible? absolutely awful. Yeah. Well, another thing that I saw about pumpkins that I never actually knew about was, you know, the classic like triangular faced pumpkins with the big grin? Uh -huh. That's supposed to resemble death. Or like a dead person because the triangular nose is like a skull. Oh, yeah, it is. I never knew that. I always thought they were just really happy. <laughs> yeah, I was like, if that's what like death looks like, could you imagine like the Grim Reaper? He has like that hood, like, like the cloak, the hood, and he has his curved knife and he's walking around and then like a, a cool breeze like blows down like the hood of his thing. And it's just like a f that face. <laughs> That's the face of death. It's like a like two teeth. Right. <laughs> and a triangle nose. Hollow eyes. What an image. Well, it said that death lurks in the imagery of that pumpkin. I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting because I never thought of like, why is the nose a triangle? And that's like the one thing that I could see. Okay. And then the grin kind yeah. of like a, a skull. Anyways, so around the, the turn of the 20th century... That's also when Halloween was reimagined with the colors orange and black. 
So that's where artists of the era put together all the scary things that link that are now linked to Halloween, like the black cats, the witches, the pumpkins, all of that. Yeah. And it's really cool that that's all still used today. To move it along a little bit more, Halloween basically got even more popular. So in 1966, that's when it finally made it to like TV and it appeared in Charlie Brown. So I feel like everyone has seen The Great Pumpkin. And then in 1978, this one is widely known as well. It appeared as a horror movie. So John Carpenter's Halloween. And a couple just fun things that I thought I would share about Halloween is the idea actually like to call it Halloween came from the distributor because there had never been a Halloween themed film like that before. And I was watching interviews with John Carpenter and he was talking about it. And I was like, that that's interesting. Like if it was named something else, yeah. it wouldn't be like this iconic Halloween movie today, right? It would just be about, you know, another slasher film. I don't yeah. know. I thought it was fun. And then uh, another thing that I found pretty interesting, and I, I already knew this, but it's still fun to share for people that don't know. The Michael Myers mask was actually a Captain Kirk or William Shatner mask. And it just was an odd mask because it didn't look like it was supposed to. So originally, the production designer went to Burt Wheeler's magic shop on Hollywood Boulevard, and he bought that mask. And what they did is they spray painted it and altered it a little so that they could use it for the movie. And then that mask now is a Halloween icon. Huh. It also that that particular movie from what what's said is that it paved the way for horror, like the horror genre in itself, because they were always regarded as like silly movies or rated a lot you know, yeah. lower than the average movie. And then this is the first time where it was like, nope, it can be a big production. And it got sequels, and it was a big deal. Boy, did it. Mm -hmm. And then it also helped kind of redefine the mask. Even though it was just a silly mask that they, like, spruced up, it helped grow the mask industry. And now the mask industry is a multi-million dollar business because they they now sell everything. It's yeah. not just, like, little basic masks. There's high-end movie-quality masks. And it also helped create a better costume because now people can be whatever they want. It doesn't just have to be the generic ghost or goblin or vampire or whatever. They can be a character. And it helped, I guess, advance the want of masks. Huh. So I think, well, Halloween costumes, but also horror movies are like part of the best parts of Halloween. But one of the other best mm -hmm. parts is candy. And so, of course, I think one of the most persistent tropes with Halloween is the idea of adulterated candy. So the first report of tampered candy in North America was in 1959. There was a dentist named William Shine, and he gave out about 450 candies laced with laxatives. Why? Well, jerk move, right? Jerk move. I don't even I don't know. I couldn't find anything about his motives. I was like, that's just rude. About 30 kids got sick, but I don't think anyone died. And so he was charged with outrage of public decency and unlawful dispensing of drugs. And I mean, I guess like it's good that that's what he was dosing them with, if anything, I guess. Right. But like right. he could have just get, yeah, he could have just given out sugar free candy and it would have done the same thing. And he would have been arrested. Well, I think of it more like if you've watched Parks and Rec, you know, like the councilman dentist guy who's like all about people's teeth, like getting terrible. Yeah. I think of that, like, why Why didn't he just let them hurt their teeth so that they'd have to come and spend money at his business? Yeah, it didn't even occur to me that he was like a dentist who was like, don't eat candy, right? Like, he was like, 
Huh. That's what I thought. <laughs> I love that. They got jammed. Yeah, they got jammed. And then after that, in 1964, there was a woman who just did not like Halloween. She was like fed up with it and she was done. So what she did was she handed out little bags and she had ant traps that had arsenic, dog biscuits, and metal mesh scrubbing pads. And I used to get annoyed if I got like a pencil. So I can't even like imagine like a little kid's face when they're like, trick or treat. And they open their little bag or pillowcase. I'm assuming it's probably a pillowcase around that time. And then good old Helen's like, here's an ant trap. Here's a dog biscuit. A couple things with that. I love Halloween pencils. So I'm a little disappointed in you because Halloween pencils are great. I wanted fun size Snickers or cinnamon candies. Fair, fair. And also, before I had my son, and we would just hand out candy, we'd always dress up one of the dogs. And then when other dogs would be trick-or-treating with their families, we'd always make sure to have dog biscuits for them, too. Mmm, I love that. And I still leave some out. Yeah. I mean, dogs 10 out of 10 should be given trick-or-treat options. Except they are not going to wait until they get home. No, no. We we would just leave little, yeah, we'd have something ready for them because they're trick-or-treating too. So have something for the dogs that also are trick-or-treating. We're, we love PSA. dogs in case you haven't noticed. It's another common theme. We've got the Furbies, we've got Mittens, we've got Muppets, and we love dogs. So in 1985, there was a researcher named Joel Best who defined the term Halloween sadism. And he defines it as the practice of giving contaminated treats to children during trick-or-treating. Which I, I've heard that my entire life. And I feel like it's a pretty common like concern of parents. Mm-hmm. And so what he did was he studied media coverage of Halloween sadism to look for incidents that were reported where children were injured by adulterated candy. And so he's looked, he originally wrote the paper in 1985, but he's all since updated it, which I, I kind of like. He updated it last in 2019. And he has yeah. a chart, not, I'll put it up on our Instagram, but it has Halloween sadism per year. And from 1958 to 2019, there have been 110 incidents of Halloween sadism. However, none of those incidents were situations where the children died or were seriously injured. Most of the time, like the parents found it or they're, like, there was an okay ending to the story. But that ends up being 1.8 incidents a year, which obviously there's no point eight, but I did an average. There's some years where there's none and there's some years where there's over 10. So there were some deaths that were originally attributed to Halloween sadism. But as the case was investigated, it became very clear that it wasn't candy that was adulterated by a stranger. It was something else going on. So the first one was Kevin Totson from Detroit. Mm -hmm. He was five years old. And in 1970, he died after ingesting heroin and originally it was thought that it had been hidden in his candy but when his autopsy was being performed the me noted that the amount that was in his stomach looked like what you would find from a capsule and that they later determined that it was from his uncle's house that he had eaten a capsule and i want to think some articles that i've seen have said like they sprinkled it on his candy so they wouldn't get in trouble because it was an accident it's very sad okay there's also timothy o'brien which I think this is one of the worst cases because it's really, really heartbreaking. So Timothy O'Brien went trick-or-treating with his father, Ronald, his sister, Elizabeth, as well as a family friend and their child. And at one point, Ronald, the father, kind of lagged behind. And when he came back, he had five pixie sticks, like the big ones, like, you know, the giant ones that are like way too big and shouldn't, shouldn't exist, but are also delicious. I love a pixie stick. And so he handed them out to the kids. 
And so there were three kids there. And then the friend of the family, their daughter had stayed home and didn't go trick-or-treating. So he gave her one. And then he also gave one to a kid that went to their church as well. And when they got home, the kids were like, obviously, like, can we have candy? And dad was like, yes. And so Timothy starts eating his pixie stick. He complains that there's like a bitter taste to it. And his father's like, it's fine. Just drink some Kool-Aid with it. And then he starts to throw up and get sick. He doesn't even make it to the hospital because he dies. And one of the detectives that was on the scene, he was talking to the ME and the ME was like, smell his breath. And the detective did. And he's, you know, the detective was like, hey, it smells like almonds. And the ME was like, yes, yeah, cyanide. So it turns out that Ronald O'Brien had filled the first two inches of all five pixie sticks with cyanide. And he had hidden them in the sleeve of his raincoat because it had been raining. He had stapled the top of them shut. And so his son was probably able to open it with his help. But the kid that he had given it to that was from their church, he had actually fallen asleep holding the pixie stick, but he couldn't get it open because it was stapled shut. Isn't that horrible? Like how close? Truly. Yeah, so close. And so they found that he had had a lot of debt and that he had right before the murder taken out life insurance on both of his children. And so he was convicted of capital murder and executed. And on the day of his execution, hundreds of people in costumes came and stood outside of the penitentiary. And when he died, they yelled trick or treat. Just also as an interesting note, there were folks who were out protesting the death penalty. The people who were there to celebrate the execution of Ronald O'Brien would throw candy at them. Yeah. I, just that image is yeah. really haunting, though. Can you imagine? Just like, I feel like outside at, I for some reason, I picture it's at night. Everyone's standing there with like their witch costumes and candy and just like chanting while this guy's dying. It's like kind of poetic, but also haunting. Yeah, it's grim. It's really grim. I think the spectacle of executions is a little grotesque generally, but I understand why specifically in this situation that happened. So yeah, and his execution was in March. So it wasn't even a time that was close to Halloween right. where folks would have Halloween costumes. They were just ready with them. And so that's yeah. one of the most, I feel like, well-known cases of Halloween, of like suspected Halloween sadism that turned out to just be a parent who was a murderer. He also never admitted his guilt and it maintained his innocence. Well, that's horrible because but, it was pretty apparent that he did it. Yeah. I feel bad for his wife, too, because she's like, she had no idea. Right. But so there's also Patrick Wiederhold, who was two years old, and he was from Flint, Michigan. In 1978, he died after eating some Halloween candy. And they originally thought that it was from that candy. But it turned out that it was from natural causes because there was no drugs or poison in his system. And I just thought that was interesting because in, like, in what I had read, just because there wasn't drugs or poison in his system doesn't necessarily mean it was natural causes, right? Yeah, but we know that now. Yeah, we know that now. So and then lastly, there was Ariel Katz from Santa Monica, California. She was seven years old when she collapsed while she was trick or treating and she died before I think even the ambulance got there. And her parents had said she had heart problems from the onset. But news stories suggested Halloween sadism because that's more sensational. And the coroner confirmed that her death was due to an enlarged heart. That's sad. It's very, very sad. Like I said, in best research, he hasn't find, found any reports of Halloween sadism that have been fatal or where a child was seriously injured. It's also, though, impossible to prove that it hasn't happened because it's hard to prove a negative. Yeah. Right. It's just that it hasn't been reported on. So it's, I think it's an interesting study because 
he specifically is looking at what is being reported. And just because it happened doesn't mean it would be reported on. Bass has become pretty well known for this research. So he's had people reach out over the years who have experienced Halloween sadism. So in 2015, a man wrote to Bess describing an incident where he had been given LSD, presumably on his candy, on Halloween. He said that the police were called and that he has records from both the police and the hospital and that the police confiscated his candy, but they never confirmed whether it was laced with LSD. See, I have a hard time believing when they're like, the candy is going to be laced with drugs. I know, I don't know if it was last Halloween or a couple Halloweens ago, where there's this big thing online about how parents were fearful of their kids' Halloween candy being laced with different drugs. And, and you know, I've seen a ton of different ones, whether it be marijuana, LSD, whatever it may be. And it's expensive. Why would they be lacing kids ex- like their candy with expensive drugs? That makes absolutely no sense to me. I think something to note, too, is that the guy who had claimed to have been given LSD, this was around 1984. And if you listen to our Black Forest episode, LSD and people being drugged with LSD unwittingly was something that people were hearing about. So I didn't even think of that. Yeah. And so his medical records showed that he had been dosed with LSD. But yeah. But so I wonder. CIA? It, I don't think it was the CIA. But I do think that sometimes the stories that are out in the world might inspire people to do things. And that's true. We're, when we end this section, there's a really good example of what people are doing with razor blades now. But so. Another person had reached out to Best in 2017, and she claimed that when she, in 1964, when she was a kid trick-or-treating, she brought an apple home with her haul. She said that it was also pretty typical for where she lived in the time to receive fruit or homemade treats like popcorn balls. So she bit into the apple, right? And think like you're crunching in and your teeth are about to touch, and she feels something hard. And so she like pulls her mouth back, and she's like, Mom, this is strange. And her mom cut the apple apart. And found a razor blade in it. And they didn't call anybody because who were they going to call? Well, that's very odd, too, because I feel like putting anything in an apple, you're going to see it. Even the tiniest of thing, it's going to look weird, you know, like as it Mm -hmm. turns brown or as it gets like the weird spots on it. A a razor blade's fairly big. So I feel like that would be a pretty big impression in the apple to where someone would have noticed. I guess, you know, for a kid, maybe they wouldn't, but my kid would. So 1964, I don't think they were checking kids' candy yet then, right? Well, no, but I feel like my kid would be like, it looks weird and like set it down. That's fair. Maybe she saw just, maybe she didn't even see that in there. So maybe it was dark. Who knows? But I I thought that was interesting. And also these people like didn't get anything from writing into Beth. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. They didn't pay them in any way. It was just, this is what happened. Yeah. There wasn't any fame or notoriety that was associated with them lying to Beth about his study. So, yeah. Well, when researching too, just speaking of razor blades and apples, when I was trying to find like the first instance of it, what I found mainly was people saying, we don't know what came first, the story or the happening. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm like, hmm, perhaps some of these stories have inspired people. And also another thing that I think this was more common in like the 90s, but medical facilities were offering to x-ray candy for kids. Yep. I remember that. It's cute, but it's also alarming. The next few things are just some more recent examples of maybe a trick being given with a treat. So in 2019, there's two examples, both from Connecticut. One 
was where two children received sealed packages of THC gummies. That was a total accident. Yeah, I was like, that had to be an accident. People already get cheap with their Halloween candy, and they don't even get the good stuff, but they're giving out THC gummies. Yeah, they're giving out Smarties. Yeah. So the other thing that happened was there was a, a guy who had like the bowl of candy and mixed in with the candy. There were just razor blades. Oh, my gosh. And luckily, there weren't any children that were hurt, but he did get arrested. And so also there was a kid in New Jersey who was a, at a Halloween event and someone gave him a little baggie of heroin. Again, accidental, I would think. Super weird. Yeah. Super, super weird. <laughs> this one. So in October, which is now. Of this year. I found this article accidentally. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, this man is having a bad 2020. I don't know why else he would do this. So there's a guy in Maine and he prepares pizzas that are going to be stocked at supermarkets. And he put razor blades in the dough. That's so random because I know we're talking about candy, but like, what would lead you to, to put it in dough? Like, it's going to be flattened normally with a device. Like, it's not going to. Probably, I, I just don't mm -hmm. see it being cooked. I don't understand where he was getting this motive. It didn't say a motive. Oh, so in my mind, what he did was he had assembled the pizza and then slid the razor blades like up into the dough. So mm -hmm. it's in the middle. So you wouldn't see it. So it's like once it's been flattened. No, we have no, no proof of this. This is pure speculation. But fortunately, nobody was injured and the company issued a full recall of all the pizzas. Obviously. Yeah, like. Don't hurt candy. Don't hurt pizza. What's wrong with you people? Um, also, don't hurt children. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that too. <laughs> well, they can't get hurt if their pizza and their candy is safe. I mean, that's fair. Those are the only things. Start at the root. Yeah, the root is dangerous chocolate. Yeah, and apples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to give them something they don't want, give them like a toothbrush. If you want to really be... I've gotten those again. I was just like, thanks. Pennies. Pennies? Yeah. People would hand out bags of pennies. <laughs> so we know that in England, there's Guy Fawkes Day where they would say like, can I have a penny for the guy for Guy Fawkes? Oh, that could and be. So maybe that's why they did that. Maybe, they're, maybe they grew up with their family doing that. But so before you had mentioned the Halloween yeah. industry being booming. So there's Halloween decorations, right? You can yeah. buy so many Halloween decorations. And over the years, They've gotten more and more realistic. Yeah. And you have to buy them early now because they sell out by October. Just yeah, FYI. And then you can't get your 12 foot skeleton. Right. Agreed. I'm real angry. That you were going to convince everyone else to buy. I don't know who we're talking about here. Yeah. Nobody in particular. <laughs> Keep it going. Fast on forward. But yes, you're absolutely right. Halloween decor is a little too realistic sometimes. So that leads us to accidental dead body Halloween decor. And it happens more often than I thought it did, where someone dies of different reasons, various reasons, and people that find these bodies think of them to be Halloween decor and don't report them right away. That's the case for Mustafa Muhammad Zayed. And he was a 75-year-old man who was dead and decomposing on his Marina del Rey balcony for days because all the neighbors just thought it was a Halloween display and they didn't call the police. So he had apparently died with a single gunshot wound to one of his eyes and he was slumped over a chair on the third floor balcony. 
and this was in LA and he was just there and people even like talked about it. So one of the people that were like there when they were taking the body away was talking about how they had noticed it too. So sheriff's deputies believe that he might have committed suicide and they said our investigators don't think that there was any foul play here. But imagine being like his, I don't know, his next door neighbor that probably had like a patio. I guess you can't always see your neighbor's patio. But I feel like after a couple of days, especially in L.A., you would smell something yeah. going on if you would have went outside. But anyways, that that was like it's sad, but it's also like the things people think are Halloween decor now because there are such big Halloween decorations that people put out now. There's like life size. I've seen everything from life size tombstones and like coffins. Those are expensive. They are. And I want them. But all the way to, yeah, like pretend dead bodies. And then sometimes, unfortunately, they're real. And then another one was Dale Porch. And I feel bad when I was researching this. I did see a couple in like comments on articles about his last name being Porch and being found dead on the porch. That is gross and a little too like, look, it's a little cringy. That's the word I'm looking for. It's real cringy. It is. It is very cringy. So in 2012, a mailman in Denver walked up to a home to deliver mail. So like he did all the time. He saw what he thought was a Halloween display, delivered the mail, and then left. What he didn't know is that it was an actual man. So his name was Dale Porch. He was 46. He had returned home from his graveyard shift, and he collapsed on his porch steps. The mailbox was a couple feet away from where he collapsed. So when the the body was later found, he was still warm. The family believes that if the mailman had reported it, there might be a way that the death could have been prevented, oh, but they no. don't know that for sure. From what I understand, the mailman felt yeah. terrible. And I, ma- they have so much mail to deliver. They don't have time to sit there and like review something too long. But from what I understand, it was like kind of blocking the porch a little bit too. And he thought maybe like it just fell over or maybe they were picking it up to put it away. Yeah. Is my my thoughts of what he thought. And I guess the... The body wasn't found until about noon. And then the family was really, really upset about it. And there was this whole thing about them blaming the mailman. And I don't know what came of it afterwards, but it's just like an unfortunate, terrible thing that happened. As you were talking, I was thinking, I wonder how many awesome decorations male people get to see because they get to like yeah. walk up on people's porches and stuff. So I'm sure that in that person's career as a male person... They had seen lots and lots of very realistic Halloween decorations. Yeah. I don't know that I would be able to like notice in a split second and make that decision. No, And you're just going up, you're throwing it in the mailbox and you're leaving. You're not yeah. like investigating for the most part. But there are very, very realistic displays. I've seen some like realistic scarecrows and just like propped up. Yeah. Bodies. Yeah. Where you know, I'm investigating them thinking it's probably a dead body and it's not. But I feel like that's already a little more morbid than the average person. Yeah. On October 13th of 2015, there were workers arriving to the American Electric Power substation. And when they did, they saw a body that was hanging from a fence and her body was snagged to the fence about two feet off the ground. And so that was the body of Rebecca Cade. She was hanging by the sleeve of her sweatshirt. And at first they thought that she was a mannequin and somebody else who had walked by thought that she was that her 
body was just like a prank. Like, again, that it was a mannequin. I feel like in a lot of stories where people talk about having found a body, they always talk about thinking it was a mannequin at first because that's where your brain wants to go. They're like, this isn't real. Like, this cannot be real. So I feel like that's completely understandable. But so according to the forensic pathologist, Rebecca's face, neck and torso were covered in injuries. She had bruises on her hands and her chin, as well as her jaw, and her nose was broken. She had, I want to think it was up to five cuts and deep stab wounds to her face that were two inches deep. Yeah. And it distorted the way her face looked like a lot. And she also had spinal and brain injuries. And that might be, too, why they thought it was like a decoration or a mannequin or something. This is so distorted. Yeah. 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 Per authorities, they thought that she was running from someone at the time and that she had gotten caught on the fence after being attacked. That's horrible. That's like every horror movie, too, when they're running away from the killer. Yeah. You know, and like they fall or there's a fence in their way and they can't get around it. When I was reading this article, that's what I thought of. Yeah. That's particularly horrific and very sad. So also there was Delaine Aldine Johnson, who she was actually found this October. And folks who were driving by a local restaurant, I believe it's called the Rustic Inn. It, this is all like within five miles of where I live. Her body was found like, in the parking lot of what used to be a restaurant. And folks thought she was a Halloween decoration. But so homicide detectives are still gathering information. And it's been released that she has unspecified trauma. And that, oh, yeah. So they don't know, like they haven't released the cause of death. There's like very, very little information available right now. Do you ever drive by that area? Yeah, all the time. Like, I knew exactly where they were talking about. I was like, oh, didn't see anything. But it's a place that I drive by at least once a week. That's crazy. Yeah. So that that's horrific that it happened this year. And on top of everything, I don't know about you, but last year, last Halloween, I was like, next Halloween's going to be so great. It's going to have a full moon. It's going to be... For those that, like you guys, you guys live far, you guys are in another time zone, the time change is going to happen. For those that do go through that time change, they get extra Halloween time. Like, this is the this is the Halloween to l- be alive. Oh, how naive you were. <laughs> Sweet child of summer. <laughs> I know, I know. But we still do get a full moon. And I know there's a lot surrounding the myths of a full moon. And I'm sure everyone's heard of it. Must be a full moon. You know, ER people or customers are being unusually mean or weird. Must be a full moon tonight. And that's going to happen this Halloween. So we thought it would be interesting to to look into the full moon effect as well, just quickly. So that the full moon that'll be happening on Halloween night this year is actually called the blue moon. Oh, because it's the second full moon in the same month. Yeah, like you've always heard the term like once in a blue moon. And I never actually thought of it. You know, like, why is it called that? All I think of is Greece. (laughs) Yeah, that too. That too. (laughs) Another fun thing about this full moon is this Halloween full moon will be visible to the entire world. So rather than just parts of it, and it's for the first time since World War II. Now, that kind of threw me off on a loop because I'm like, don't we all see the same phase of the moon? And yes, we do. 
But when it's technically the full moon, sometimes it can, you know, like in a different time zone or whatever, it could be considered the following day because it'll be after midnight. Oh, yeah. So global full moons are a little tricky because they have to fall on that particular day and also, you know, to do with the time zones. So full moon may not occur on the same day for all earthly locations, technically. So it must read in order for it to be a Halloween full moon. The date and time must read October 31st, and it has to be between 12 a.m. to 11.59 p.m. local time. So I guess in 2001, it came very close, but because of time zones, some of some of the places in the central daylight time saw it technically on November 1st. So just to clear that up. And then as far as like the once in a blue moon term, it's supposed to be, you know, like it's it happens very rarely. But I guess the problem with that phrase is that they're not actually that rare. And they happen <laughs> every few years at least where the moon, you know, there's two full moons in one month. It just cannot happen in February because it's not long enough. We've talked about Pliny from the first century, I think in a couple episodes now. He's also one of our things we're going to talk about the time now. But we, he talked he was the first person who had written about ghosts. Yeah. So he wrote about the full moon as well. And he said that the full moon gave birth to an especially heavy nocturnal dew and caused the brain to become unnaturally moist, leading to both madness and epileptic attacks. And that is a big claim. (laughs) I have never felt that my brain is unnaturally moist (laughs) at a full moon. That's good. And I couldn't find any research to support that. I wonder why. There's a lot of research that's been done to see if there's any kind of connection between the moon and madness or zaniness. Yeah. And it's been called the Transylvania effect, which I find fascinating, but also as a person who loves the horror genre, incorrect, because werewolves are the full moon and Transylvania Mm -hmm. is Dracula and vampires. So nerd out right, guys. Yeah. There have been so many studies. Where people have tried to answer the question, do people act out in a full moon? And it seems like there's not one clear answer, which makes sense because human behavior is kind of unpredictable. I saw a few studies where they confirmed that there's no spike in violent crime, in ER visits, in suicides, and calls reporting disturbing behavior. But I also did see Mm -hmm. one study where what they looked at was they looked at incidences of outdoor crimes. And whether outdoor crimes specifically increase with the full moon. And they found that they did, but not indoor crimes. And so perhaps the reason why other studies didn't see this spike is because they were looking at crime as a whole, not outdoor crimes. And so they didn't necessarily see like, oh, this means that a full moon makes us zany. It was more perhaps it's easier to see. Like, that's why people are out. Like, you can see more. You can see more. Yeah. You could see them get it. They just get yeah. caught more frequently, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Because they're seen, maybe. But also, I would think like you wouldn't want to do it on a full moon because then y- your risk of getting caught would be more. Yeah. But if you think of outdoor crimes, like it could also be things like theft. And if there's natural light, you could easily see what you were going to steal. And also, just to bring it back to where we started, the Celts base their conception of time on the lunar system. So their months began at the full moon. So they had a fully kind of different way of measuring time. But I thought that was an interesting way of starting time and how that would kind of vary based on where you were then. Okay, so I guess this full moon, though, won't necessarily 
hopefully make 2020 any worse. It might just be a fun, pleasant happening. Yeah. Maybe. We hope everybody stays safe on Halloween. Please feel free to tag us in any of your fun Halloween things that you do. Yeah. We'll repost them on our Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or wherever you tag us. Also interested in seeing some people's Halloween costumes. And please, I beg of you, if you carve a turnip, I need to see it. Yes, please. Yes. Like, I need to see it so badly. Happy Halloween. And hey, I know you're seeing it everywhere. It's all over social media. It's on every commercial. But it is very, very important that you vote on Tuesday. Vote like the rights of people you love are at stake. We hope you listen to us more than once in a blue moon. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. 